0: and welcome everyone to our latest edition of bam's radio post notre dame as the university of alabama has now moved on to the national championship game with a workmanlike 31 to 14 win over the fighting irish the first since 2012 for nick saban as he claimed uh his third national championship in tuscaloosa with that 42 to 14 beat down in miami now they will head back to the same place but this time, the opponent will be the Ohio State Buckeyes, as there were a lot of people that put the cart before the horse, just assuming that Trevor Lawrence and Clemson would run through Ohio State. And uh, that did not happen. The Buckeyes played their best game of the season. And, you know, the, and uh, and the uh, and, uh, Justin Fields, probably the best game of his career, six touchdowns, passing, one rushing uh, as the Buckeyes. Get a big win, 49 to 28 over the Clemson Tigers. As we see, Trevor Lawrence, great player, but he has as many national championships as Tua Tungo Viloa, which is one as a freshman. It's not easy to climb the mountain. Clemson not able to do so, but Alabama one game away now, 12 and 0. But I'm with the usual cohorts Thomas the Wizard Watts in the Port City of Mobile, going to give us his thoughts and, of course, produce the show. And then Alabama insider and former uh, all. All SEC offensive lineman and national champion, William Redfish Barger, who was all over the Steve Sarkeesian to Texas story, and that's been a big one in the last couple of days, as Sark is now the new head coach of the Longhorns and will not return to the University of Alabama. And so Alabama will not get a year three out of Steve Sarkeesian, but they certainly have gotten two outstanding years, and Sark now – of course, the Frank Royals Award winner for the best assistant uh, in the uh, United States and well-deserved there. Well, William, uh, once again, I know we're going to talk Alabama-Notre Dame, but kudos on the uh, Sark uh, info. You were all over that. I uh, hate to see him leave, but when you're getting hired for $7 million a year after they strike out with Urban Meyer,
1: you can't really blame the guy for taking a job like the Longhorns in the Big 12. No, not especially when they throw seven million dollars a year in your face. But uh, yeah, I got to okay. be honest, Drew. I mean, I've I've you know gotten some inside tips on coaching searches in the past, and uh, you know, I, the guy that it's that it came from is is you know friends with Sarkeesian, a golfing partner. Um, you know, gotten to know him socially, and uh, you know, this all started uh, the Tuesday or Wednesday before Christmas. And I I mentioned it to Thomas, you know, off the air. And I was like, but I got to be honest with you, man, just, you know, uh, I'm not saying that it's not going on, but I didn't feel comfortable enough talking about it on the show. Um, You know, A, you don't want things to get out and and hurt somebody, uh, you know, hurt somebody's chances and put more pressure on the situation than there already is. But I mean, this thing, obviously they, they, you know, gave Auburn the blueprint for how to do it. Um, you know, the next go around, you make sure you've got your next guy in place before you fire the current guy. Um, that way you don't end up having to hire Brian Horson. But, uh, I, you know, I, I really did, man, as, as, quiet as it was kept. And I floated it by some people that have connections in Texas and nobody knew a word about this. Um, You know, I think the Alabama people probably knew about it um, before anybody, because obviously Sark had to come back from. I think he ended up going out to Austin over. If it wasn't Christmas night, it was the next morning, and uh, you know, of course, when he came back, he had to tell Saban, so they kept it under wraps for, you know, quite a while. But again, I mean, I'm real happy for the guy. I think he's done a fantastic job for Alabama, and a lot of different levels recruiting, you know, play calling, and quarterback coaching. Um, you yeah, hate to see him leave, but you know, what is this? The the fourth or fifth different OC that Saban's had an opportunity to win a national championship with. So um, I'm sure the next guy is going to be, you know, just fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: it'll it should be the most high profile assistant coach's job in college football. And just because when you work for Nick Saban, it, you see this, you see where it got Steve Sarkisian. and you mentioned the other uh, coordinators that he's uh, had uh, except head coaching jobs uh, while on a, a, a quest to try to win a national championship. So, and I mean, certainly the offense is going to have to be rebuilt William, but you've got a guy like Bryce young, you've got young receivers, you've got a talented running back room that a lot of people are going to want to work with. So I mean, it's, I think no question about it that uh, it's, it's going to be a, a coveted job. We've we've already heard today uh, that Bill O'Brien, the former Houston Texans head coach and Penn State, is in town talking to Coach Saban. That may just be a you know a consulting deal. He may be trying to help Coach Saban with Ohio State. But again, it's an interesting name because, quite frankly, I've uh, had him on my on my short list in the past for it when Saban retired because. I thought he did a great job coaching at Penn State under the uh, those sanctions when uh, the coach, of course, when Joe Paterno had to be forced into retirement, and with of course, as we know, uh, with all, all the craziness uh, around uh, with uh, Jerry Sandusky. But and then he did a pretty solid job with Houston. I know it bottomed out when he got all the personnel control, but uh, I still he did he won several division titles and. He may be better suited to the college game anyway. If you were an OC at Alabama, that would be very, very interesting. Not saying that's going to happen, but again, uh, we'll see. But uh, you know, but uh, but certainly, uh, yeah, I, we'll, we'll worry about that after the national championship yeah. as Alabama dismantled Notre Dame. William, I, I didn't think it was uh, their best performance. I thought it was probably a B, but in a lot of ways, they didn't have to show a lot, and I think. When Alabama got ahead in this game, three scores, uh, Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian kind of dialed back, it seemed to me.
1: Yeah, that was my take on it as well. And, um, you know, luckily they they came out of the game without any real serious injuries. And, you know, I I really did. I thought um, I was pretty close on the Notre Dame side of things point-wise. I think I said they'd score 17, but I – I really did think Alabama would get into the 40s mm-hmm. on that team, which they failed to do. You know, part of it is they did dial it back. But, um, you know, I think, um, you know, if you look at, you know, both games that both Alabama and Ohio State played in the playoffs, I think Alabama's, you know, coming out. Did they ever say, um, did, 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 uh, uh, Fields crack a rib or or separate a rib? What his actual injury was? No, they they, they you know and,
0: and I can ask Thomas this as well, and Thomas can chime in if he's heard something different. But I don't think so. All I heard Ryan Day say was he's a very tough kid and he's going to stay in there. And I know they had a bunch of extra padding under his jersey uh, after halftime uh, after he took that shot to the kidneys and. Uh, the middle backer for Clemson was uh, was uh, rightfully ejected for targeting because he led with his helmet. But I don't know. I have not heard what the injury is. Now, there's been some speculation that uh, due to quote-unquote COVID protocols that Ohio State might want to get the game moved back also so fields could heal up. But the uh, quandary there for Ohio State is if you, if you want to try to do something like that, the more days you give Alabama – uh the The more days Jalen Waddle can heal, so it might backfire on you so but william, I haven't heard how severe that injury is and thomas if if you've heard anything different, you can certainly uh chime in
2: well, let me jump in. I've just jumped around the internet, and, you know we're doing it live, and everything is just the post game comments uh right interestingly enough, you know the doctors almost didn't want to diagnose it, and yeah. they're they're trying to it, there's a bunch of You know, MD is and fan speculation, but there hasn't been very much from Ohio State in terms of who and/or what the actual injury is. Just it sounded, it looked bad live, and Fields was very obviously paying through some pretty extensive pain. So we'll see how how he looks in ten days. Yeah, that might be a
1: good that might be a good over under for somebody to start on social media. Is how many milligrams of toradol did they jack him up with in that tent? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah you know at halftime no doubt about it uh, he probably did have some painkillers no question about it but uh you know it's going to be interesting to see you know uh going forward uh, what how healthy fields is but he certainly played one hell of a game it was uh he and he and uh uh trey sermon uh are the guys that Alabama's going to have to stop because Sermon is a transfer from Oklahoma, who was, I believe, on the team two years ago when Alabama dismantled the Sooners in Miami. But he's really hit his uh, you know, uh, stride the last couple games for Ohio State, 300-plus over against Northwestern. And then he had over 200 all-purpose yards to complement field. So that's, once again, eight is going to have to be the guy. I thought going in against Notre Dame, William, that the key for Alabama was to limit Kyron Williams' which I thought they did. I mean, they held him to 60 yards. Uh, he caught the, he caught a few passes, but he wasn't a dominant force. And uh, I really thought, uh, and look, you know me, I've been as critical of Pete Golding as anybody, uh, but I thought Alabama's defensive performance against the Irish, which was really solid. Uh, if you'd have told me going into the game with four minutes to go, Notre Dame would have seven points. And then the officials, Mo Larry, and Curley, or whoever that would have to be, would have, from the Big Ten, would have to go ahead and basically come up with a couple of phantom calls, get uh, Notre Dame another touchdown, I would have been satisfied. I thought the defense was pretty solid.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, solid would be probably my my grade as well. Um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, as we shift from that game and start talking about Ohio State, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've got a lot of friends that are – on suicide watch because Ohio State finally, uh, you know, played up to their potential. I mean, you know, look, anybody that watched them against Indiana or Northwestern, um, you know, knows you, you know, which one of these teams is going to show up. Um, you know, I guess is my, you know, I think Alabama matches up really well with Ohio State. Um, obviously <laughs> Justin Fields is going to be seeing a much, much different caliber. Of a DB and Patrick Sertan and, and Josh Job than he saw against Clemson, and I think we've all kind of, you know, expressed our opinion throughout the season um, that that Clemson defense is nowhere near the same one that Alabama faced two years ago. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I knew that their linebackers and their DBs weren't really up to par, but you know, I think Ohio State exposed that their their defensive line is nowhere near the the level that it was, you know, two years ago as well. Um, But, you know, I think Alabama will be able to slow that passing game down much more efficiently than Clemson did. I think where the the key matchup in this game, just, you know, from watching that game the other night is going to be, you know, how does Alabama's front seven match up with a pretty good Ohio state offensive line? I think like, just like you said earlier, Drew, you know, the key is going to be slowing that running game down.
0: Yeah, they're going to have to slow the running game down, slow Sermon down, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, they're going to have to tackle well. Uh, I do think Alabama's got two really good corners. And uh, William, I'll say this, uh, I think we also figured out that, that Clemson offensive line wasn't up to par. Terrible, terrible. terrible. Yeah, I mean, the Trevor Lawrence got beat down. I mean, he, uh, he still threw for 300 yards, but uh, he was harassed the entire game, and uh, that front for Ohio State, the D-line, which is probably the strength of their defense, Togi I and those guys, they really rail with the pressure, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and, and slow down Travis Atien, uh, which is, uh, who's a really, really, really good back, one of the best in Clemson history, And but he was really a non-factor in the game. But, yeah, Alabama's definitely going to have to stop the run first and foremost against Ohio State. There's no doubt about that. I do think Alabama's corners match up well, even – You know, with, uh, you know, uh, those Ohio State receivers, no doubt about it. Uh, I think Olave is really good, but I think Alabama can find a way to slow him down. Now, the tight ends were heavily involved against Clemson, so Alabama's going to have to be ready for that. But uh, honestly, William, I thought they did a pretty solid job against Notre Dame's tight ends. I still really like the Mayor kid a lot, but I thought Alabama, you know, they caught a few passes, but it was one of those things where, they didn't give up any chunk plays and, uh, you know, uh, certainly, uh, with, the w- the mobility of fields is an issue, but it was an issue with Ian book as well. So, uh, Alabama is going to have to do some of the same things, but it's just with the, uh, I-, I will say this Ohio state has more, uh, capability of blowing the top off the defense. So Job and certain will probably be tested more than they were against Notre Dame, but so far, uh, they've been up to they've been up to par. I still don't think the Ohio State receivers as a whole, though, are what we saw, you know, uh, uh, with with the Florida Gators. I thought I think Florida's got more speed and athleticism even than Ohio State. But it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup uh, comes off.
1: Well, you you mentioned the, uh, you know, the biggest area of concern for me. Right. Um is, is how Ohio State utilizes their tight ends. Um, I'm a lot more concerned about them uh, with the way Alabama's linebackers and safeties has, has a tendency to lose a tight end in a game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, lose them in coverage, not to the, be the, the, the reason for the loss. But um, that's a concern to me. Um, you know, I think Ohio State certainly has got a lot more speed on defense than Notre Dame had, uh, more athletic um, – more dynamic players, uh, you know, we'll have to see if, if, uh, um, you know, they can get the run game going consistently against that bunch. But, you know, I think for college football fans, you know, this is the best possible matchup, um, you know, two of the, you know, the most all-time winning programs in college football. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly hope the, the COVID excuse doesn't enter into things, and the game the game goes off next Monday night the way it's supposed to.
0: Yeah, I do too. And I, I'm going to bring Thomas in uh, uh, and get his some of his thoughts on. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna break. We're gonna get your thoughts on uh, the Notre Dame win here in a little bit, Thomas. But I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Clemson, and I know you were watching it closely and Ohio State. What were your uh, impressions of both of those teams, and of course the Buckeyes now Alabama's coming opponent.
2: Well, the game was pretty much over when James Skalski was ejected for targeting Drew. Yeah. Yeah. At at the end of the day, the thing where Clemson's defense really, really struggled, it was when Skalski was hurt. And just to clarify in terms of impact on a defensive unit, it would be like losing for Alabama. It'd be like losing Dylan Moses and Christian Harris in terms of getting aligned and getting in the right calls and whatnot. That's really what Skalski handled. Now, I don't think Skalski was having a good game up until the point that he got targeted or got ejected for targeting. You know, the defense was really, really struggle, struggling to be aligned properly and getting its proper lanes, et cetera, et cetera. But the game is pretty much over then. And the thing about Ohio state is I absolutely agree that we don't know what Ohio state's going to show up because this is a team that went out and Justin Fields was crisp, and he had zero fall-off, and Ohio State shelled Clemson. This is the same team that struggled against Northwestern, and Northwestern's defense is technically sound, but not that talented. And on top of that, you also had the Indiana game where Ohio State was up big, and then they left let their foot off the gas, and suddenly there was a game again. So... I don't really know what Ohio State we're going to get. But for the purpose of discussion, let's just assume that the group that we saw in the Sugar Bowl comes out and performs at that same high level. That team's good enough to beat Alabama, but I'm on the same train. The Alabama defense presents some specific matchup problems that the Clemson defense did not. And the Alabama offense... Presents different matchup problems. And basically, I think Alabama's offense is more talented everywhere except the quarterback position when it, in comparing Clemson and Alabama's just offensive unit. I mean, the Clemson wide receivers, part of the reason that you know, Clemson never really, or really, really struggled to get anything going is one, the offensive line got functionally no push against the Ohio State defensive line. And then wide receivers, even though Trevor Lawrence threw for 400. It's not like wide receivers were running wide open the whole time. So I I think it's a different set of circumstances as Alabama matches up with Ohio state. And I think it's fair if you're an Alabama fan to be confident, because even though I said, you know, expect what Ohio, the Ohio state team would come against Clemson. That team was so much better than anything they've shown on film up until that point. Like it's, it's so stark that I doubt we're going to see it again. Yeah, that's
0: a good point, Thomas. And uh, you know, I, I do think that Alabama still matches up well, uh, you know, with Ohio State. Uh, you know, they're going to have to pressure field some, you know. But I and and I still think it's going to come down to you know rush defense uh, and you know forcing a couple of turnovers. I thought the turnover against Notre Dame with Christian Harris's pick. Was probably the one of the biggest plays in the game because it it it, it uh, you know thwarted their momentum, and I and then and then they were able to rest Harris. Basically, Coach Saban said they rest him the rest of the way. Liam, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because this could be a, a, a another uh, you know. There's always an unsung hero in a national championship game that kind of plays really well and, and contributes, and I've been really impressed once again with uh, Jalen Moody and uh, the times he's had a chance to play. I thought he was really solid
1: against Notre Dame as well. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with Thomas for a second. I, I, sure. I don't know at this stage in the game how big of a loss Dylan Moses would be to this defense. I'd I just assume go with Jalen Moody myself as long as Christian Harris is 100% healthy. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, – seeing Harris and Moody, um, you know, tackling those inside linebacker positions in the spring. Hopefully there will be a spring this year. Right. Um, you know, Unless one of those young inside linebackers that didn't get to play period this year, um, you know, just come screaming out of the woodwork. I, I think that's going to be at least going into spring practice, that's going to be your two starters um, projected there. But, um, you know, I, I just – I, I think that's the the deal. And, and what I always try and, you know, because let's face it, Alabama fans are the most spoiled fan base in the country. You right. Know, me personally, I, I, I've been through it before. So I know how, how difficult it is, especially I think that's got to be an asterisk by this season for Nick Saban. You know, to be able to go undefeated, you know, playing a – Straight up SEC schedule, the SEC championship game, and albeit, you know, I guess in hindsight, maybe Notre Dame didn't deserve to be where they ended up, but um, maybe Texas A&M was playing better football than they were at the, at the end of the season. But um, you know, it's just so damn hard to to pull that off. And I, I got news. I said this, you know, I think it was the year of, of the the kick six deal at Auburn. Look, I'll take all the damn. Uh, you know, one-loss, two-loss seasons that Nick Saban wants to serve me up. You know, getting to where they're at, you know, a week from tomorrow night is so tremendously difficult to pull off, you know, injuries, you know, especially with the the COVID stuff this year. Um, I mean, I, I think this might be Nick Saban's best coaching job of his tenure, you know, when you factor in all the mitigating circumstances that were involved in this season. And I think, too, um, what what this, you know, wacky, this is the first time I think since I was, you know, out of college that I didn't fill out a, uh, a bowl sheet, you know, picking yeah. bowl games. Right. I mean, that's, you, you think about, you know, I was telling somebody the other day everybody was talking about, you know, how has your life been impacted by COVID? And I'm like, you know, now that I think about it, I think the biggest impact was not, you know, having a bowl sheet to fill out. Um, Yeah, because nobody did them this year. But, uh, you know, I just think this is when when you look at the craziness, you know, that's gone on in the whole world in 2020. I do think college football fans are probably getting the best possible outcome um, of of the 2020 season. When you look at the the two programs that are going to be playing for a national championship next Monday night. I mean, I think that's a a pretty cool way to end a crazy season, regardless yeah. of who wins.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be interesting, no doubt about it. I mean, I think. And then before the season started, I've told many people this that, and I'm talking about before even COVID disrupted spring and everything else. The two teams that were Alabama wasn't the one uh, one of the two or three teams uh, mentioned to win it all. I mean, but really, the top two were Clemson and Ohio State. After what the game that they had in the playoff the year before, Alabama didn't make the playoff. Nobody knew how well Mac Jones was going to play, so there was a lot of buzz about Clemson and Ohio State. So, uh, really, they got most of it uh, coming into the season, and not Alabama. But now, certainly Ohio State only uh, you know seven to zero right now. Uh, but you know, but uh, you know, but that's uh, one of those things where. You know, the Buckeyes only played six. And I guess really really now uh, they, they only played uh, six regular season games and then the Big Ten championship games. So, I guess they're 8-0, pardon me. Uh, but, uh, but a- again, it's been hard for me to keep up because of the craziness of that Big Ten schedule, stopping and starting and everything like
1: that. Uh, but, you know, they've – and, and, you I, know – so, Go ahead, really. Somebody, I was just going to say, somebody that I've never really been a big fan of, yeah. But I've become a fan with the way he's chosen to handle things, at least in the Southeastern Conference this year as it relates to, you know, right. the god-awful year 2020 and COVID. But you got to take your hat off to Greg Sankey, um, in my opinion, with the way that he's at least, you know, I'm not saying that, that he was reckless or careless about things, but I think he – you know, at least erred on the side of caution and said, you know what, we're going to wait until the 12th hour before we cancel this game. Um, You know, he did give the programs the opportunity to opt out if they wanted to. Some did, some didn't. Um, But but I really think he's done a very good job and shown, you know, to be a very effective leader, you know, in a crisis-type situation. I really appreciate the way that he allowed this thing to play out, at least at, at the Southeastern Conference level. No, I mean, I completely agree with you, you know, and I was
0: critical at first. I thought he had, uh, he had been too reactive and not proactive, but his plan worked perfectly. I mean, he, you know, the big 10 and the Pac 12 hung themselves, uh, and they completely butchered it. And he was, he, he sat back and uh, had a plan and they went, they went with that plan. And now the sec had a strong bowl season. I mean, the bowl season was crazy. Like you said, William, I mean, I couldn't keep up with how many there actually were I know a ton of them were canceled but the SEC had a really good day yesterday going three and0 and I think they're six and two overall and so they've, they uh, they've had a they've had a really good bold run and and let me also clarify Ohio State is seven and0 uh big Ten champs they were five and0 in the regular season then win the big Ten championship game and then uh, beat, beat uh, Clemson but they're seven and0 Alabama will be 12 and O but yeah I would say Definitely kudos to Greg Sankey uh, for how he handled this. And now Alabama has a chance to win a national championship. And, you know, uh, it's been a crazy year. But I agree with you, though, William. Coach Saban was rightfully named SEC Coach of the Year because his team finished undefeated. The others, like the candidates, like Elijah Drinkwitz and Sam Pittman, their teams did not finish strong. So you got to give – uh, you know, Alabama, a lot of credit. And I do think this could be Saban's best coaching job because when you think about opt-outs, he only had one. That was Keelan Robinson, which was never really officially announced. Uh, and when you keep your kids focused and the way you have to handle COVID and they've lost coaches, Charles Huff did not coach in the semifinals. He had COVID. So hopefully he'll be back to the national championship game, but they've had players and they've had coaches out with COVID and they've been able to deal with it throughout. So, but, William, I'd be remiss if I didn't come back, though. Uh, your specialty, the line play, what did you think about Chris Owen's performance at center in the place of the law of uh, Landon Tigerson, who's, of course, had knee surgery and is lost for the rest of the
1: year? Well, I would, you know, kind of clarify on the front end. Before you discuss his performance, you know, I think you have to – you know, acknowledged that going into it, you know, he's he's nowhere near the player that Landon Dickerson is. Right. Um, you know, he's more of a hat on a hat guy. Doesn't does gen, doesn't generate the same power at the point of attack that Dickerson does. You know, certainly doesn't play with the mean streak that Dickerson does. Not many people do. Um, but I thought he did a serviceable job. I mean, uh, you know, you, you didn't see any really you know blatant things that that he screwed up or. Uh, missed blocks, or um, you know, getting getting his you know quote unquote ass handed to him by any stretch of the imagination. Now this is going to be a much bigger uptick in competition for him to face that front seven of Ohio State's um, versus what he saw from Notre Dame. But you know, the the thing I think that, uh, that that I you know I think his his biggest you know imprint that he's going to leave on the program is he's basically Alfred McCullough, 2.0, Drew. Um, You know, a guy I know that you followed closely with him being – wasn't Alfred from Decatur?
0: He was from Athens. Close, yes.
1: Athens, okay. Close enough. And, uh, you know, Decatur, Athens, Huntsville, it's all the same to me. Yeah. Um, They, uh, you know, same kind of guy. And, and, you know, I think every program um, at at that position, you know, you're, you're very fortunate. You know, if you've got somebody on your roster, you know, Jedrick Wills could do it. Jonah Williams could do it, you know, albeit at a much higher level. But it, it's a very unique situation to find yourself in as an offensive line coach if you've got a guy that can play all five positions effectively. And I think Chris Owens is capable of playing all five positions and grading out at a, at a satisfactory or a winning level. And, and so um, it, it's a rare thing to find. Um, I think Alabama probably is in a class of their own because they do such an excellent job, or should I say Nick Saban does an excellent job of identifying players that have the, you know, the mental capacity. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but outside of maybe the quarterback position, you know, being an offensive lineman is probably the second most cerebral position on a football field. Um, and when you start factoring in having the the mental capacity and the physical ability to play all five positions, things get real tricky. And uh, so, you know, I think Owens, um, you know, is, is kind of this year's Alfred McCullough. I mean, he's surrounded by some guys that, you know, are blessed physically um, with, with with DNA and God given ability more so than he is. But I do think he's played a very unique role over the last couple seasons um, in Alabama football. And, and hats off to him, um, you know, for having the, the, the mental capacity, the physical ability, and the tenacity to, to be able to do that. I mean, I think he's played. I've seen him in a scrimmage at left tackle. I've seen him at right tackle. You know, we've seen him at center. I don't know if I've ever seen him at one of the guard spots, but he could play those two as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he, I, you're right. I think he is a guy like McCullough who can play all five positions and, uh, and grayed out. I mean, and remember J.C. hassenauer started in the 2017 game. He Hell, he's actually on the Steelers now, and due to COVID and some uh, injuries, he started games for Pittsburgh. So Alabama's blessed to have some depth along the offensive line, and I thought he did play pretty well uh, in the game, no doubt about it. And I thought Mac Jones played an exceptional game uh, he, he's really not given, being, being given a lot of credit, but he was 25 out of 30 for just under 300, four touchdowns. He's, you know, he, he's, he's had, uh, he just broke to a of Bailoa's record for passing yards in a season with over 4,000 and it's, and it's, there is no debate if Mac has a great game in the national championship game, uh, and, and, and throws for 300 plus and Alabama wins it all he's going to have the greatest individual season of any quarterback ever at Alabama. So you got to give him a lot of credit uh, for the season he's had. Alabama's going to, you know, still got one more chapter to write, but he continues to play at a very high level Mac. And uh, certainly, and then Devontae Smith, what more can you say? Three more touchdowns, seven catches for one thirty. I think he's less than 10 yards away from breaking the SEC record for receiving yards in a career. Just uh, incomparable. And then uh, we'll see if either Mack or uh, uh, Devonta I think Smithy's going to win it, but certainly I think one of those two is going to win the Heisman Trophy coming up on Tuesday. So that would add a third to Alabama's trophy case. And uh, hopefully they can go three for three because Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry won uh, national titles. And hopefully Alabama can get this done. But I wanted to bring Thomas in. Thomas. Uh, what was your thoughts on Alabama's uh, victory over
2: Notre Dame? Uh, in a word, it was workmanlike. Right. I, I don't. I think. I think Notre Dame's defense deserves a lot of credit. They played a solid game, but they were overmatched, particularly on the edges. Alabama pounded Notre Dame on the edges, did what they wanted to do, and then Alabama throttled down, uh, partially just running into the middle where Notre Dame is really it's at its strength. And, you know, you saw what happened. Alabama only, air quotes, scored 31 points. But, yeah, I mean, that we kind of – it was one of those things where the talent difference really asserted itself early. I think there was – the only big surprise was the long drive that Notre Dame had, that 15-play drive that was just dinks and dunks by and large. But the defense adjusted, and that – Really, really got shored up at the end of the day. So, overall, Workman like the best news, frankly, is no injuries, and we're on to the next one. The offense continues to be potent. I think they could have scored forty or maybe even fifty if they were feeling racy. So, you know, you know whatever. The only the only disappointment in the game, Drew, was to the ve- to folks that out in Vegas if you've bet on Alabama, otherwise. It's just what the doctor ordered, and you know, here we go one more time for everything.
0: Yeah, we do, and and Thomas,
2: go ahead. Hey,
1: I think this would be I think this would be a great um, you know topic for your radio show whenever you come out of quarantine, because um, because I, I really don't know the correct answer here. I, I know for a fact the first player I'm going to mention, I guarantee you the majority of Alabama fans would have rated him no higher than the number three wide receiver last year. But I don't know if I've ever seen on any college football team, much less Alabama's, three players that emerged in the same season at such a high level. I mean, this time last year, somebody's lying to you if, They'd have told you they thought Mac Jones was going to outperform Tua low on the football field. Yeah. Um, they'd also be lying to you if they would have rated Smitty ahead of either rugs or Judy last year in the receiver rotation. And they'd also be lying to you if, based on his track record over the last couple of seasons, that Najee Harris, and this is where I think it becomes such an interesting debate. Which one of those three guys? Played more out of their minds this year. I, I certainly didn't expect Najee Harris to be talked about as the best running back in college football. But to have three players on the same side of the football, you know, go gonzo like all three of those guys did this season is just unbelievable. I mean, it's it's been such a fun season for me. Um, you know, seeing those things emerge. And then, of course, I totally agree with you. I don't think there's any doubt, um, you know, that Smitty's the best player in college football. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the interview that, you know, we, we love to call him forth and Kirby and make fun of him and all that other stuff. But, you know, I, I got to give Kirby some credit. I don't know if y'all saw or read the interview, um, you know, that he did about Smitty. And And you know what? I wouldn't take him in the first round, but there's probably some dumbass GM that's going to take Tyson Campbell in the first round. And Tyson Campbell couldn't slow Smitty down. He's a pretty good cornerback in a lot of people's opinions. Um, But I I just think when you start looking, that's why I think it would be such a good, hell. you could probably have the phone lines filled for a whole show. You know, which one of those three guys, and, 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 you know, not just Alabama fans, but college football fans' opinions, played more out of their minds this year, you know, Smitty, you know, Mac or, or Najee. Um, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's been my favorite year to watch. I
0: mean, I hate that the fans, that the fans didn't get it as far as the stands weren't full and it wasn't a normal season from that standpoint, but just watching this team and watching the way they've played. And like you said, watching Mac Jones, I mean, I, I thought he was being under, underestimated, but man, I, I'm going to be honest. I never saw this coming uh, at the level that he was going to play. And then Najee, I knew Najee, I thought he really had a really good year last year, but he has really improved uh, in taking his game to the next level. And then Devontae Smith, I, I've, you know, you played with one of the, one of my favorites of all time, one of the greatest players, David Palmer, but I've just never seen a guy like Devontae, such a big game player, he always comes through. He's always clutch. Uh, he's so smooth. And even and I wondered how the offense would change when Jalen Waddle went down because Waddle was having such a spectacular year in his own right, William. And that's what makes it so yeah. scary because they've done this offensively over half the season without Jalen Waddell. But I wondered how Smitty would, would respond and if they would still be able to get him the ball. And part, part of that's credit for design for, for Steve Sarkeesian, but – it, it seems to me that Devonte Smith took his game to even another level when Waddle went out.
1: Well, and, and and Smitty, aside from what he's done on the field this year, um, you know, I, I think that uh, you know the biggest compliment that I've heard anybody pay to him, because um, I can assure you, most really, really good football players at that level, um, their head coach can't say this about them. Uh, But when Nick Saban made the comment leading up to the the game versus Notre Dame that, you know, take all the touchdowns, the receptions, the freaky plays out of the equation, you know, I don't think Smitty's ever been into my office for a negative reason in the four years that he's been here. And I can assure you, as somebody that's been in that locker room before, Christ, I was in Coach Stallings' office once a month probably um, for, for negative reasons. Uh, But for a head coach to be able to say that about a marquee player, not that I'm considering myself, I was never a marquee player, but I I think that's a huge compliment. And as far as Najee Harris goes, I'm not sure if a player has ever made a better decision than he made um, to come back because every dollar that Dylan Moses has had fall out of his wallet this season, Najee stuck that dollar bill in his wallet he has made himself a ton of money for coming back
0: yeah he really has you know he's got a chance now to go in the first round I mean uh you know running backs are kind of being devalued but he has proven himself to be a three down
1: player so
0: uh you know you never know I mean uh, as a running
1: back as a running back I mean has Najee ever not been available for a game that that's got to put you know, even more money in his pocket to, you know, to show that he's got a good body, you know, he's a freak receiver out of the backfield in the passing game. Um, But I I just, like you said, I mean, you know, that that was the best part of this season for me, as crazy as it was. Um, A, Alabama never opted out. They they went out there every week under the COVID concerns. And, And to have three players on one side of the football just blow the doors off you know, with their performances is, is just unheard of. And uh, I, I've never spent as much time as I have this season. Um, for, for those that aren't familiar with YouTube, there, there's a great, and I think it's some 16-year-old kid over in the Ukraine that does this. But there's no better thing for a football fan to utilize than to go back on a, on a Saturday night or a Sunday after the game and watch every Alabama football game in under 30 minutes on YouTube. Unbelievable way to watch a football game.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And uh, Again, as you said, Devontae Smith, he's going to be a top half of the first rounder now. Najee could be a first rounder. Will be no, no less than a second. And then Mac Jones wasn't even on draft boards, and now Todd McShay has him in the top 32, so there is a possibility that Matt could be a first rounder. And if Matt goes out and is MVP of the national championship game and and makes a statement like that. It could really, really enhance his draft, uh, you know, uh, projection. And I know he's not, and see, I got into it with, I was debating this this weekend, William, and I know he played during your era, but I was talking about Trevor Lawrence and Peyton Manning. And I think Trevor Lawrence is a great prospect and really good, but I think he's been overhyped some and he's more athletic than Peyton, but, I don't, I never feared Trevor Lawrence the way I feared Peyton Manning with his how cerebral he was and throwing the football. And see, I'm still more of a traditionalist. I understand the games change and they want quarterbacks to extend plays with their legs. But the, the bottom line is you still have to be able to read, process, and throw the football accurately. And I'll be honest, and I'm being totally blunt here after watching Mac Jones all year. I wouldn't trade Mac Jones for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields
1: for what Alabama wants to do. What about your boy Tua Tungvaloa? Would you trade him for Tua? I mean, look, man, they were on the (laughs) same
0: football team. I'm talking about this year, but, I mean, I'll say this. He has matched Tua, you know, throw for throw. I still think Tua is the best you know, pure passer I've seen at Alabama, but I'm not going to take anything away from Mac Jones and what he's done. He's also shown some toughness. He got knocked around against Georgia. You know, Notre Dame hit him some, uh, but, you know, he's but and then he was able to scramble when he needed to and make good decisions. I mean, Mac, this is what I'll say about Mac. He's had as good a year as any I've ever seen from a season from an
1: Alabama quarterback, William, and, and that's the best you can say. Well, and, you know, I think the thing, too, that a lot of people miss on Mac, um, you know, he's not going to go to the combine and, and run a six-flat 40 like Tom Brady did. Right. Um, you know, he's damn sure not going to go and, and, and run a four, you know, four-five like Deshaun Watson did. But he, he is not a stiff in the pocket. Um, you know, he's got some some, you know, limited but decent wheels on him. Um, I, I think just you know when you when you watch him play you know the way he's able to extend plays um, you know certainly you would never you know draft him if you were wanting to run a zone read offense he's not that guy um, but, but I think he's got some escapability and, and the ability to extend plays again um, all of these guys that we're talking about you know Smitty Najee Mac you um, don't have a lot of mileage on their bodies. They don't have a, a thick, you know, medical file. Um, they don't have a long list of injuries. And, I um, I think all three of those guys are, you know, going to play the, the game at the next level until um, they want to hang it up and do something else. Obviously, you know, Najee's going to go into a position that has the shortest shelf life, uh, you know, in the NFL. I, I know 10 years ago, the average lifespan of an NFL running back was like 3.2 seasons. It might be even less than that now. But um, it just just is unbelievable, um, you know, the way that offense, and, and, you know, as we're talking about this, I'll go ahead and make, there's another good uh, call-in topic for your radio show. Who gets drafted higher, Smitty or Sertan?
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly Patrick's had a hell of
1: a year, SEC
0: Defensive Player of the Year. And, uh, you know, he's, I think Certain is definitely going to be a top 10 pick, but I think Devontae Smith should be. I mean, if he's not, I think these, I'd have to evaluate the evaluators because I, I, and sometimes it's about need with some of these teams. But I know there's definitely the Miami Dolphins definitely need some help with wide receiver because Tua Tunga Valoa has been struggling when they're not getting any. Uh, you know, separation or anything of that nature, but, uh, but I wanted to bring Thomas in uh, to the conversation too. Uh, Thomas, I, I know, uh, we'll, we'll 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 definitely gonna record one more episode and and then delve more into Ohio State, and I know you're gonna study them more, uh, no doubt about it. But as far as Alabama goes, just early impressions. What? How, how do you see
2: this matchup? So, here's quick version drew right depending on who you talk to and how you break down statistically this Alabama offense is in the same orbit as the LSU offense last year a uh, PFF just put out a piece in the past 48 hours saying that out the Alabama offense this year is better than the LSU offense based on their grading criteria and It's really six and one half dozen the other. And that's been pretty consistent throughout the Alabama's ability to have success and hit you in a variety of ways has been almost unparalleled in college football, like in history. And that's really the task ahead of Ohio state. I don't think they have it. I think the most decisive matchup problem that this Alabama offense presents to Ohio state is at corner. Uh, If Sean Wade tries to press and bail Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith will either slant him to death or just blow the doors off of him. Just overall, this Alabama offense has been so good, so good. Like the the superlatives, you, you run out of them, so you have to refill your superlative cash. And that's not going to change. Now, if you want to talk about some intangibles, something that we've hit on before, and we'll talk about this more next episode also, the guys that we were talking about, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris in particular, they came back for a reason. They came back because they had a bad taste in their mouth from last year and to make money for themselves. Well, it's time to finish the drill, and I have a hard time believing that those guys, in an offense that has answered the bell every single time, You know, Ole Miss and Florida, the offense had to score. They had to score because the defense was struggling. And not once this year have they failed to come up with a key score. And I think that's going to continue against Ohio State, but we'll definitely talk more about that uh, next episode, Drew.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. We will. And I'd be remiss here at the end of this show, though, if I did not bring kudos to Alabama basketball. What a week it has been for Nate Oates. He he received some criticism because they only went 5-3 and uh, in their pre-conference, but they played a tough pre-conference. And, again, this crazy year, it's not normal. You haven't had nearly as many guarantee games because everybody plays them. Uh, The four or five other games where you can set your rotations, get guys some playing time, and get some nice wins, get some confidence. But they have gotten off to a 2-0 start in the SEC. Still a very tough road to hoe, especially this first uh, you know half of the schedule. But they get a nice win, uh, 82-64 to against Ole Miss and Kermit Davis in the home opener in the SEC. And then they go on the road yesterday and absolutely whip and outplay. They really should have won by double digits, but really play well and beat what I think could be the best team in the SEC. And it, when it's all said and done, the Tennessee Volunteers in Thompson Bowling Arena, seventy-one to sixty-three, led by senior John Petty, nineteen points, seven rebounds. Uh, you know Herb Jones played a, a very nice game, eleven points, eight boards, and uh, they just they they play they play with a lot of toughness. They played with a lot of tenacity. Also getting double figures off the bench, Javon Quinterly. Uh, But they were able to beat a really good team on the road. It was really Nate biggest win at Alabama, and I think validates what he's trying to do. He's really coaching these kids hard. They've improved a lot, really, just in the last few games uh, and bounced back from that home loss to a good Western Kentucky team. But that was a huge win over the Tennessee Vols. And uh, just as a a team, they played well as a team. Uh, Jaden Shackleford made a big three from the corner to kind of ice it. They've got to get better at closing games out from the free throw line, but they played really good defense as a group uh, and really out toughed a really good Tennessee team. So I just, I, I challenge Alabama fans to get behind Nato to this program. He's running it the right way. They're going to continue to get better. They've got more depth this year, more talent, and I think they're going to be a team. I still think they can be a top four team in the SEC. Uh, this league, we still don't know how good it is totally. But I think it was a huge win for Alabama, getting a win over a top ten team on the road. And the Vols, who would come in seven and zero, had not lost a game. And Alabama gets a huge road win. And just wanted to pay them kudos for that. And wanted to pay kudos again to Alabama football. Uh, what a what a uh, what a win for uh, Nick Saban and the and the staff. One more game to go to try to win his uh, seventh national championship, which would be such an unbelievable accomplishment. And try to go thirteen and zero in this crazy season, but they got to take care of a great program with Ryan Day and Ohio State. We'll take a, a we'll delve into that matchup more next Sunday and break it down more uh, systematically with Thomas and William. But we wanted to really pay kudos to this team, and I think William did a great job of that uh, today, talking about offensively how good this team has been. Uh, and and I also wanted to pay some respect to while we were uh, recording this today. The New York Giants uh, beat the uh, Dallas Cowboys twenty-three to nineteen in the NFL. The clinching interception by Xavier McKinney, who spent part of the season injured, oh wow! So X McKinney he seals that, and that could that could help the the uh, the New York Giants make the playoffs. They could win this division if uh, if the uh, Washington football team, I want, I'm still going to say Redskins, if they don't win today, the New York Giants can still win that division, so want to play by X and uh, another Alabama guy, and you know I think uh, Derrick Henry's already wrapped up uh, his second straight rushing title, so a lot of Alabama guys playing well in the NFL, and there'll be a lot of them, I bet, in Miami coming up, as there always is when they take on the Buckeyes, I know it's COVID and everything, but Hopefully, some of those guys will be able to be on the sideline to help support their brothers as Alabama goes for another national championship. But for William Redfish Barger, for Thomas the Wizard Watts, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, as we took a look back at Alabama's workmanlike
1: win over Notre Dame, hey, got to give a lot. of Hey, Drew, got I got money. one. I got one final talking point for your radio show when you get out of quarantine. Okay, go ahead. Pose this question to your listening audience it's by the same person bigger insert foot in mouth moment of 2020 <laughs> one former really good defensive end for the georgia bulldogs saying alabama was finished after jalen Waddle got hurt or tweeting out yesterday that steve sarkeesian was turning the texas job down <laughs>
0: Well, I've never been a big fan of David Pollock, and I've said it on the air that I think he's a narcissistic prick, and I'll I'll stay with that.
1: <laughs> Ooh, I didn't mean to push that
0: button. Well, I, no, I mean, you don't have to. I, I don't like Pollock. He would sell his own autograph on eBay. I mean, he's. Uh, I've never thought he was that good an analyst, personally. He was a really good football player at Georgia and had his NFL career, unfortunately, cut short. But as an analyst, you know, I I'll just say this: in the media this day and time, they've had to cut back on the uh, you know a lot of cutbacks, a lot of uh, you know a lot of great people that I grew up watching aren't in the business anymore. And when you have to spend less money on stuff, you get you get analysts like that. And I just you know I don't I I don't think Pollock is one of the sharpest knives in the drawer. And of course LSU Brando screwed it up too because he he reported that. Uh, that Sark was turning it down. So, like I say, you know, you, and, you have to and, walk- one, and
1: one last thought about what Thomas was saying earlier about comparing the, the 2019 LSU offense to the, to the 2020 Alabama offense by pro football focus. Let me tell you something. If one Jalen Waddle doesn't get hurt and one Landon Dickerson doesn't get hurt, it's not even a topic up for debate. I
0: agree with that. I I hundred percent agree. I mean, I enjoy this offense more just because I like the way Sark runs the ball, and I think he stays patient with it. Uh, and last year, Alabama didn't have as dominant a running game at times. Uh, and I love Tua, but I just love the balance of this attack. And you know, I in in a way, I I I hope I wish Jalen Waddle could play in the national championship game to to put a exclamation point on it. But I'm not counting on that. I. I, as it, it, a young man, you don't want to you don't want to endanger him with his, in his with his uh, you know uh, with his potential and what he could do uh, you know on the next level. He's trying to get healthy. I mean, if he if they think he's healthy enough to play him some in the national championship game, so be it. But I'm I've never been counting on that. I like the way that Mechie stepped up. I mean, you look at it, Mechie's numbers. I, I said this going into the Notre Dame game; he had more receiving yards than any of the other. Uh, wide receivers at Notre Dame. He's a really good football like, player. I like seeing Billingsley
1: get more touches uh, the other night, too.
0: Yeah, and then Billingsley's role continues to grow. Everybody keeps talking about a Gilbert, and Alabama has been in contact with a Gilbert. But, hell, they've already got a damn to Gilbert. And that's Jaleel Billingsley. He's just like that guy. I mean, the, the catch he made with the guy all, draped all over him, and they didn't even call interference, was just a sick play. Uh, and you know he's I I love the way Sark has let him grow in this offense. You still got a guy like Slade Bolden. I think Alabama's got too many weapons for Ohio State, but we'll talk about that next week. But again, great win for Alabama over Notre Dame. Great thoughts from William and Thomas as always. I'm your co-host, Judy Arman. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, edition of Bam's Radio. We'll come to you next Sunday to preview the national championship game, which will be played on Monday night in Miami. But everybody, enjoy the Alabama basketball as well. They've got a big game coming up with Florida at home on Tuesday the 5th. And that same day, the Heisman Trophy will be awarded. And we all feel like number six, Devontae Smith, is going to be the third Heisman Trophy winner in University of Alabama history. But Matt Jones could also have a say in that as well and what a year he has had. But everybody, have a great rest of your Sunday. Good night, everybody, and Roll Tide.